In a world where workplaces are toxic for people and humanity has been squeezed out by outdated rules, how do leaders who care create enlivened workplace cultures? This show has the answers. On Make Work Human, we discuss how companies can meet their mission and make a profit without squeezing the life out of people. The path to how lies in unbreakable connections, clear purpose, and real partnerships that debunk and demolish old mindsets about the world of work. I'm Mo Carrick, and I'm a beekeeper, mother of adults, CEO, culture expert, award-winning entrepreneur, and best-selling author, and I'm joined on this show by my colleague and friend, awesome coach, mother of a toddler, award-winning creative, DEI facilitator, and millennial, May Rats. Together, we tackle teams that gossip, leaders who are bad for people, parenting while working, belonging, and so much more with an irreverent and honest look at what it takes to make every workplace fit for the human beings who work there. We are on a mission to stop the suck and restore humanity to work. This show will warm your heart, challenge your thinking, and leave you laughing out loud. All right, so should we jump into this very fun part? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so what we want to do next is we're gonna um, we're now gonna bring forward two people that are super super important to us, and the first one is Anne Lent, who is uh, on the screen right now. Anne is one of my best and oldest friends. Not that you're that old, because we're really quite young at heart. Um, And I can't believe that you're joining us for the podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. And we challenged our besties to come ready to ask us a question today. And I don't know about you, May, but I've been like freakishly nervous all day about what she's going to ask. So Mm -hmm. you want to introduce Oakley? Oh, yeah. My best friend is on the screen. Y'all, she's got a blue shirt on and her button. Her name is Oakley Boycott. That's her real name. That's like her parents given name. Amazing. And I don't even know, there'll be a whole podcast about it, but if someone's going to ask the most dearest and deepest and most courageous question, it's probably going to be Oakley. So it was a big risk to invite Oakley to this podcast, but here she is. She's also little, she's, uh, she performs at the Met among many other places. She's an, uh, she's an artist and a performer in New York, many places, wherever Paris, wherever you want her to perform, she'll be there. She's just about to launch a really huge project on her birthday um that which is a performance piece and you'll have to follow locally to figure out what that is the other performance piece but not really a performance but more like service project that she's about to do is that she's running for our local city council ward one y'all so if you're in lander wyoming and you can vote ward one oakley is your person if you want to talk more about it you can get in my dms and i'll tell you all about it but oakley she's amazing so she's got a question for us it might not be work related but Bring it on. Okay, Oakley, you go first, because then I got to say more about Anne. But I want to hear your question of us. It's so good to see you, Oakley. So good to see you. Thank you guys so much for having me on. This is like, you know, I'm a fangirl of both of you. And I I just get, I get real jazzed that I also get to be your friend, friend and fangirl. Um, So my question for both of you is, I think it's, it can be and should be considered a work-related question, but also is a big question what are, or what is, what are the darkest parts of your respective communities that you still have to show up and lead for? I told you, I'm sorry. Can we just cancel that right now? Can we just cancel this podcast? Turn off the recording. All right. Well, it's interesting because it's a really good question, Oakley. And I think there's like, for me, the first thing that came up is like, how do I identify community? Because where I first went is like the community I live in. But then I started thinking about the focus of this podcast, which is let's make work human. And I thought about the medium in which we work the most and which I work the most is the workplace of the world of workplace. And I think that one of the deepest, darkest parts of the world of workplace consulting and coaching, which is where I'm from. Of course, you know, that's like the work that I do, organizational development co- and, and executive coaching, um, is that there is, there is persistent sexism and racism and ableism in the field of consulting and coaching that has everything to do with the stories we tell ourselves about what good organizations are and what they aren't. And it shows up in 
lack of equity for fees. It shows up in mythology about how we're supposed to do things and what's actually good practice and what isn't. The stories we tell ourselves about profit. And it hurts the clients who buy the services of people that are perpetuating those isms. So for me, that's one of the real dark sides of, of the community that I'm in is the persistent sexism, racism, ableism, and also heteronormatism that lives in this space, mm. I would say, in a nutshell. Good answer. Yeah. I'm glad. I also want to say that I'm really glad that you, because that was what you covered at the beginning of your answer was also why I asked it was like, I wanted to see how each of you differentiated between the work community and community community or whatever your choices were, because like my first question was going to be like, how do you actually define community? Because I think that that's a buzzword that gets thrown around a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. and, And especially as like a marketing tool. And I'm totally guilty of that as well. Um, so I'm, I don't know. I just want to throw out that I'm really grateful that you chose to answer how you did in that differentiation and may, I would love to hear your answer. Okay. Mm well, here's the truth. Here's the truth. True. Cause I don't have time to make up anything else except for what's true. So here we go. I see my work in terms of where I am in my life right now as a relay. And I've talked about this, I'm sure I'm other episodes maybe, or to many of you, but there's a Julian Castro speech that talks about immigration as a relay. And I, it, that metaphor has hit me really, really strongly in terms of like what my job is as this generation of my life and my grandmother's living and making change in the world is actually a relay. It's not a sprint. You might not actually see the end of the race. And my grandmother's job, her leg of the relay was very different than my mom's, who's on the screen right now, than my mom's leg. And it's my mom's leg is very different than my leg. And then I will pass the baton to my daughter, Crosley, and her leg will be different than mine. And I see mine, my job as to sprint as quickly and as fast as I can towards the change that I can make and the difference I can make. And I think the darkness inside of the community of like these change makers or these change agents, or even these new mothers that I'm sitting in, in in this side of, or in this age of my life right now is that we can get caught up in this very, this dark swirl of protecting our own and that it's just about us that our leg is just about our children. It's just Mm -hmm. about our circle. It's just about our family. It's just about our people. And I, I feel that community and that darkness inside of myself. Uh, When I get really scared at three in the morning about what am I going to do? How much change can I actually possibly make the way that I can unspiral myself out of that is by thinking larger than that. Like there are no, there, it doesn't exist that there's someone else's children doesn't exist that there's someone else's mother, right? Like we're all in it together but I think it can get very dark really quickly when we're all just fighting for ourselves just alone. Like I, and I know that we've talked about this a good amount that like we build now for a future that we're never going to see. Yeah. That that's why I know that you teach me, both of you teach me that that's why I show up. Like like, that's why I choose to show up in the way that I do because of what I learned from both of you. So. Thanks Oakley. What a great question. All right. This is over now. We just have, (laughs) we've made everybody cry in the first four minutes of the podcast. That made me cry hard. But no, I love what you said, May. I really do. And it it did touch me as well. Um, Because I don't think it's as easy Mm -hmm. to make change for that long of a window, Mm -hmm. you know? So I am touched by what you said, and it's really powerful. And I'm also touched because I want to hear Anne's question. And I was thinking about like what it means to me to have Anne Lent here and how the only way we can make change for the long term is when we have a community that's behind us, mm-hmm. you know, and by behind us that like that community is not the community you're asking about the, that I responded about, you know, Oakley. It's for me, it's a very private community. It's like only a few people. I always say, I don't need very many friends. I just need some good ones. And one of them is Anne Lent, who's been with me in, in dark times and in good. 
and she's the best medical practitioner I've ever met. She's um, a nurse practitioner. She's delivered hundreds, if not thousands of babies and um, has helped me with pretty much every medical issue my family has ever faced, um, <laughs> but is blissfully retired right now and, um, and, and has, has uh, we've, we've been through thick and thin. So Annie, it's so good to have you here. And, um, and so what's your question? Well, I, I didn't know I was going to be uh, like crying during this time. <laughs> I don't know. This, I this was not. This what happens when we invite our friends. <laughs> this was Mo's idea. <laughs> that, the first question was so um, intelligently and thoughtfully uh, placed that now this is going to sound uh, in comparison <laughs> quite silly. But I'm um, actually this. I'm asking for a friend, which is. Um, um, a colleague of mine who's still practicing and she's in a tough spot. And so how does a worker navigate a move professionally, which is considered self-care to the worker, but perceived by management to be selfish? And it's in a helping profession, steeped in a helping work till you drop with a smile on your face culture. Yeah. Ooh. You want to take that one first, May? <laughs> no, absolutely not. <laughs> You must have some ideas. Oh, yeah, I have ideas. Let me, yeah. I mean, mine would be that I have this friend named Mo Carrick who often <laughs> says, the system doesn't care about you. You are a piece of the system. You help the system move. The system is growing. But the system doesn't care about you, ultimately. It has a different goal. I don't know. I Like, I feel like my advice meter is going way down on this. But I that's it. When I try to think about the system compared to my own self, I'm like, which one of us cares about us? And if neither of us care about us, we are in a sticky spot. I think that's a great answer, actually. <laughs> and, you know, because we do see systems as living things, but they don't really have the need for connection in the same way that human beings do. So I'm not even sure the system necessarily doesn't care. It's more neutral than that. The system has to stay alive which usually means it has to either make money or deliver on mission in order to save itself. And it's actually the leader's job in systems to make sure that that happens. So what your question brings up for me though, Anne, is so powerful. And I'm hearing this so much right now in our post-COVID time, especially in the sector that you and your friend represent, which is healthcare. I've had three phone calls today about this very question mm -hmm. because folks, there's not gonna be anybody left to take care of us pretty soon. Like the world of work in terms of medicine and what's happening in medicine, it is broken right now. Mm -hmm. It is so broken. It was broken before COVID, but it's even more broken now. And the, the devastating effect that your question reminds me of, Anne, is that the, it is, the brokenness is landing on the backs of the human beings who are trying to take good care of people mm -hmm. amidst this. Mm -hmm. This is what's happening. And they are the providers. And I'm seeing it everywhere. We are all seeing it everywhere with the people that treat us and with our clients who are just saying like, I can't take it anymore. I have to retire. I have to quit. I have to go become a plumber because I cannot continue to give in this system and to heal people and to help people with what and I myself. So like the first words that came to my mind when you asked that question is for your friend, if we are not well, mm -hmm. we cannot do our jobs. Mm -hmm full stop. If we are not well, we cannot do our jobs. And I mean, well, in the broadest sense, well, physically, well, emotionally, spiritually, if we're suffering from an addiction, if we have a stress related illness, if we can't sleep, if we have a broken leg, like whatever it is, if we are impaired, we cannot do the quality work we have to do. And we are obligated to take care of ourselves first. So to your friend, I would say, be brave, draw boundaries, Take care of you because you know that's how you're going to deliver the work that matters to you and let the system take care of itself. Because mm -hmm. it will. It will. Because it will. Thank you, May. That, that's very helpful. Thank you. I'm just here for the raging. That's like my job. Mo's job is actually the <laughs> advice. But I, uh, my like millennial brain is just lighting up because it's, that's not, it just doesn't seem fair. You know, it seems unfair to even make people go to the place where they say, I can't do this anymore. That's pretty far. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, that's unfair. And if my calls out to community would just be like, we are bringing people to the brink of saying that they cannot do this anymore. 
nothing they've chosen that says that they will do no harm. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, we got to <laughs> We got to really rally about that. I know a lot of people are saying this, but I'm saying it now. Like, come on. That's yeah. not fair. And, and May, I would say, like, I would add another nuance to it because I don't think it has anything to do actually with fairness. <laughs> like, I don't. I don't think it's fair. I think it's, I, uh, but I don't think it's not fair. I think it is what it is because the systems are broken, mm-hmm. you know, and it's not the CEO of a healthcare system's fault that a physician or a nurse or a CNA who works for them has to draw a boundary in order to claim back their life and be well. That's not that, like, I can't look at that CEO and wag my finger around fairness because I have to look at what they're up against, which is an entire system that is broken. And I actually, and you, we are part of that system, which is what are we lobbying for around healthcare policy and protocol? What are we voting for in terms of how we support people that are on public health services? What, you know, the, the whole, it's the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And so I do, I only call that out because I don't, I think that's easy sometimes when we feel treated unfairly in a system to say somebody bad is doing this to me. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I don't mean to imply that there aren't toxic bosses, but I bet in this case, and that the boss is not toxic, the boss is surviving too. Yeah. Just barely. And so that's where we can find, I think, space for empathy to say, yeah, I get it. And I hope you can save yourself too. And it's not about rugged individuals, it's about, look, I still want to provide care, but I can only do it on these three days because otherwise I'm useless. Mm-hmm. And so can I do it these three days? Will that work for us? You know what I mean? Like whatever the story is that we, that we have to tell, I think is important. I agree. Before you move on, Mo, I just want to um, throw a little trivia at you, which is, what were you doing? 37 freaking years ago tomorrow go 37. okay wait i had to look at my calendar 37 years ago tomorrow the heck was i doing standing on a highway in maine oh my god i was i was standing on a highway in maine with a urinary tract infection what? waiting to be picked up by my support for my it's job the, and you picked me up friend anniversary. <gasps> Yep. What? Tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Tomorrow's your friend anniversary? July 9th. July 9th in the wilds of Maine. I was on outbound course and it was like, what was it? CDP three, two? And I had to leave because I was sick and Anne picked me up. I didn't know who she was. And it was the most easy conversation. I was really embarrassed because I think I was the only female on staff. And um, Anne was like, yeah, no problem. We got this. We're going to get you some medication, get you all fixed up. And then we started talking. And then I was like, why are you coming back into the field with me? Uh, and that was the beginning. Oh, my gosh. Good oh trivia question. God. 37 years. What that a was- magical thing. I'm so glad I get to see you both today. Thank Love you. it. Well, Oakley and May, thank you. So, I mean, and Anne, thank you so, so, so much for joining us today. I love you both and um, treasure you. Okay. Um, I forgot to say before, even though you told me, May, that I was supposed to mention that if you have a question, we have some questions that have come from our social and our newsletter that are really, really good. And we want to ask for your questions because you showed up with us today um, for the podcast. And so we have one on there right now, which is maybe an easy one to answer. What went into deciding the name of your podcast? It was supposed to be stop the suck, except you can't say suck on the internet and make it through the algorithm. So we couldn't make that the name. That's right. Make work human already is a podcast. So let's make work human. (laughs) It had to be moved to the front of the line and suck had to be turned into suck. (laughs) (laughs) We actually did not know for the developers of the make work human (laughs) podcast, we did Google that stuff. And we did not know that your podcast existed. So we want to have you on here and we want to talk about your podcast too, because that matters. But we really didn't think anybody had the name of Let's Make Work Human. So we thought it was good. Um, But you know, oh, well, but it was supposed to be Stop the Suck. And then we realized that was an algorithm problem. So, you know, we just really wanted to, to name the podcast what we focus on every day, which is how can we make work good for people. And, um, and that was the name that that stuck. Um, All right. So keep your questions coming. And in the meantime, May, you're driving on the questions from our other audiences that you want to tackle. Okay. Here's the one. Mo, you get to go first on this one. This one is a newly self-employed individual and they want to know how to be a good boss to themselves and how to be a good employee to themselves. Well, 
I'm going to tell you what I told you privately because I think that, Whoa. yes, but it's an emboldened. So what I said privately when we heard about this question was, I actually think that for the new entrepreneur, it's there. There's there's a paradox between being a good employee to yourself and a, a good employer and to be a good employee for yourself and also trying to get the traction you need to be successful. And so while my heart-centered self wants to be like, be kind to yourself, be compassionate, you're going to make a lot of mistakes. And this is, you know, being a new entrepreneur requires a lot of courage. So a lot of empathy and self-talk is super important for yourself. Treat yourself as, as you would like others, you know, to treat you. Um, and, but I also know, having been an entrepreneur, that it's hard like it's stressful there's long nights and so i think there's a piece of being an entrepreneur that you've got to pull from the bottom because the reality is any of us that go out on our on our own we have to make the money to do the thing and if because we live in a capitalist society so you've got to also be able to figure out what is it that i want to sell how can i sell it enough so that i can get a little bit of traction under my feet and I'm not saying like throw it all to the wind and work 24 seven and kill yourself. That's not what I'm saying, but I am saying be realistic with yourself that there's some grunt and some grit. It, for me, it's like summiting a high Alpine peak. Like you don't get to the top by like waltzing through the forest over many, many days. You have to like hump it, you know? And so I think there's a, there's a paradox to new entrepreneurship, which is treat yourself kind, kindly, do rigorous self-care rigorous self-care because same thing that we answered Anne's questions with makes sense. You know, um, I can't help, I can't work if I'm not well, but also know that you're going to have to pull from some grit because it's hard to be on your own, especially when you first start. Mm -hmm. So what do you think of that? <laughs> you can stay on the podcast. <laughs> Are you going to kick me out? You don't want to work with me anymore now. <laughs> she said she would lie. That's what she said she was going to do. And she just didn't lie just now. I can't, so I can't lie. I'm not a good liar. May you know that. But what about being a good employee to yourself? Well, you get a four day work week. Do you give yourself days off? Yeah. I mean, I think to me, that's maybe being more a, a good people leader to yourself. I think, you know, being a, I think being a good employee to yourself is probably things like tell yourself the truth, you know, um, being a good employee to yourself, I think also means, um, you know, know what good looks like and stay clear on that. Um, but being a good employer to yourself, yeah, decide what are the work hours you want. Be, be human, you know, be people centered in how you design your business so that it makes sense. And I guess that maybe that's the genesis of where the question comes from. Cause I think a lot of times when we are entrepreneurs, we forget that um, we have to factor in all the real costs. Like if I'm, if I'm a new in a new business and I figure I can make, you know, $200 a day doing this one thing. And then I forget that it's going to cost me $210 to do that thing. Well, that's not a business model that's going to work because mm -hmm. I'm shelling out 10 hours a week, $10 a week to keep that business or a day to keep that business going. So you've got to be, I think being a good em employee and employer yourself also means like setting a business model that will work so that you can um, charge enough to cover things like time off, health insurance benefits, um, a place to work where you can think, some of those kinds of things. Does that make sense? Great answer. Okay, we've got one from Nikki over here. Do you believe that everyone has a purpose and passion, purpose slash passion, and should find it and pursue it? Or the passion is created through practice and doing. Becoming better at what you do creates that passion. All right, you get to take that one first. You're a creative. People may not know this about this, but oh. you are a passionate, creative excellent photographer. I, I got sold some Kool-Aid. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to tell you, it was expensive Kool-Aid. I am still paying off that art school bill and it was expensive Kool-Aid. All right. That I had to have a passion. I needed to have a purpose. And the reason I needed to have a passion and a purpose was because we have to save the world to mm -hmm. yesterday. And if we don't save the world yesterday, we're letting our mothers down because they worked so hard to get here. That's the Kool-Aid I was sold. That might be different Kool-Aid than you or different flavor. But but that has then driven me to be like, if everything is not purpose-driven and passion-driven, I am not, what am I doing? Why am I wasting my one wild and precious life? When in reality, we all know that that was just her laying in the field. But I took that to mean that we have to 
sprint very hard. And you just heard me like, that's part of my, still my life course, right? Like I'm a Sagittarius y'all. I'm like headed for the thing. But I think if all of our decisions are based around a lack of, of like, I don't have a passion, but I need to have one. Wow. We've like started out the gate by shaming ourselves that way, you know? And I was a creative. I am a creative. I was an artist. I was a jock. I was like, I'm a swimmer. I'm so many things. And if I would have just sat in those passions, I would never have found Mo. Uh, I wouldn't be on this podcast. I wouldn't be able to talk about the things I'm talking about right now. I wouldn't know the things I have right now. I wouldn't be passionate about the things that I am right now. And I, so I think about that often around like, what is my actual passion now? It's nothing that I could have seen five years ago. So I don't know that I would sell Mm. that Kool-Aid back. You know, I wouldn't, I think it comes, I think it comes and I think it has to be let to come. <laughs> I think you gotta, instead of gripping this gripping feeling of you have to hold your breath to grip, right. Instead of holding, which requires you to breathe steadily. Mm-hmm. Um, and that if you can hold on to whatever it is that you feel passionate about right this minute, instead of gripping so tightly onto this is supposed to be one passion. I'm supposed to find one. I think you might find the one that feels most true in that moment. I am so thankful, for example, for the like healthcare providers that found a passion in medicine. You know, I think there are people that do have the thing and they drive for it and it is true and like steady for them always, you know, Oakley is a good example of this too. Mm-hmm. She knew. So I think it's an and both, but for me, I wouldn't sell the Kool-Aid of that you have to have a passion and you go for it. Yeah. I love, I love that answer. I think it's really powerful to think about. And I do think that generationally, we do probably see this a little bit differently. Um, I've seen it. I've seen in my own kids, like the tension in there more like Generation Z probably than millennial, but the pressure about like, um, finding your passion. And um, I, I think I understand where it came from. It's probably baby boomers like me that caused it, you know, um, because yeah, I'm sorry. Are you apologizing? I am. I'm sorry. <laughs> On behalf of all baby boomers, I am sorry for what I caused. <laughs> but I think, you know, we, we were not taught necessarily. I, I was not taught to, to pursue my passion. I was taught to get a freaking job so that I could support myself. And, um, you know, and when I did that, and this, I think is where there's like a lot of synchronicity between what you're seeing and what I'm seeing, I had to look at like door number one, door number two, door number three. And then I didn't know what was behind them until I got there. And then I was like, Oh my gosh, there's a whole profession. There's a whole, there's people who do this thing. You know, um, I was enrolled in graduate school in social work and I actually was invited to join my friend Anne for a day at graduate school with her in organizational development. I was like, what the, like, what is that? And I went to school with her and I was like, oh my gosh, this is so much better than social work for me right now. Like, this is going to be great. But I never would have known that if I hadn't like gotten into working with some groups on leadership and, you know, getting like evolving. And and so I guess for me, I am with you, May. I don't think that emphasizing the passion career is good. In fact, I say to people, I think it's actually kind of a lie because also it makes our work and our lives equally have to be the end all be all passion. And come on, like we can't be amped up that high all the time. Like we got to have a little bit of chill in our lives. And and work is after all work. And in our capitalist society, we work for money. And so it's possible, like if I pursued my passion completely, I, I've written a blog about this, right? But I'd be like an elephant wrangler, beekeeping, bread making, novel reading, coffee drinker. So that would be, <laughs> that would be my job. That would be delightful. But <laughs> it would be delightful, but it would make this much money, right? <laughs> and, <laughs> And so it's not realistic for me to pursue those passions because I can't, I can't actually, you know, make a living in those passions. And also I want to have some separation between my work and my life, you know, and you know, May, like one of my passions is horses. It always has been, but I never, I'm glad I don't work in the horse industry, you know, raising horses, training horses, selling horses. I did like loving up on horses and riding my dinky horse, you know, like that's just super fun for me to do, but I don't want anything to do with that profession for myself. So I think that we don't do our children and our colleagues a good service when we say like, pursue your passion. I think rather, and the, this, um, the question was asked really nicely this way, do we support having a purpose 
-hmm. like being able to connect to why might this job or this work feed me or be interesting to me? Because I do think we need to know why our work matters, Mm -hmm. whether we're scooping ice cream or saving the world through climate change. Mm -hmm. I think we need to feel like what we do matters. And but that to me is really different than like pursuing our passion. Mm -hmm. And if if they happen to be the same, that's cool, you know, for us. But I think we can have both we can have life passions and we can have work that feeds us in terms of purpose, um, and not have them be the same. And I see you may as a creative like living that your your creativity feeds our business in so many ways. We're so lucky to have your talents, your passion of creativity, and you also are your photography it just delights the world outside of work. Like you take pictures all the time of everything and their works of art. And that's a passion that doesn't, it doesn't detract from the work you do with our firm, but, um, but it's different and it's in you. It's in you, not something that just that you do. Mm-hmm. It's in you, not just something that you do. I, I love that. Kaylin also put a great piece in the, in the chat about maybe we have made the idea of purpose and passion too narrow. And I, I think that's so true. Um, I would right now, since I have a two and a half year old, <laughs> you know, I'm like always trying to think about the words that I'm saying to her because one, she says them back to me, which is horrifying. So I'm like trying really hard to say things I, I want to hear <laughs> back or make sure I, you know, I'm trying to be a good parent. Yeah. But anyways, so I don't want her to see people who are just sky high all the time and then worn to the bone. I don't want her to think that's what success looks like. I want her to get out in the world and be peer pressured into rest. You know, I want her to be like, oh, look, all these people are passionate about their lives, about living with the people that they love, about, you know, loving the people that they love, about spending time with their horses and loving on them and then doing also good work in whatever that means for them. I want her to see that, you know, I don't want her to see like, okay, if I'm not here high octane at all times, loving this, then I am not good enough. You know, I don't ah, No, I don't want that. What you also are saying about like not having a purpose and not having passion or whatever, you know, all the things is actually very, uh, it makes me nervous for my, for this to go out to my millennial friends. Because I think we've heard that so many times, like, this is my passion, this is my purpose, we got to have this thing, we got to drive that direction. Yeah, just remember that there's a person named Mo Kerk who also says that there's a difference between happy and thriving. If you're in a job that is your passion, that is your purpose, and you feel unhappy, but you're still thriving, there still might be something there, right? Like, there's... So anyways, okay. I'm with you. And, and, and Steve just put something great in the chat. Thank you so much, Steve. Another long-term colleague and friend. I'm so happy and honored to have you here. And so, you know, Steve's talking about bringing and applying your passions to wherever you work or career you choose. And I love yeah. that, you know, we can apply it in a variety of ways. And I think the other piece that comes up for me, May, and I, I believe, I love what you're saying about Crosley and being the mom that you want to be, is that um, we... I think we do a disservice to people when we make jobs only be about passion. Like recently I was, um, yesterday actually feeding my passion. I took the morning off cause I had to take the horse to the vet and the, <laughs> I love my vet. He's great. And he treated Cal for what was going on. But then I, I had another appointment, which is that he had to go to the dentist and the, a horse dentist is like hilarious. I mean, her, the drill is like this long and she basically <laughs> anesthetizes the horse and jams this tool in her mouth, in oh. his mouth and drill. It's like, it's brutal and it's hard work. And I was thinking, watching Kelsey, the amazing equine dentist do this. And I was thinking, I bet this is not her passion, <laughs> right? This is dirty, hard work. She's like underneath my drooling horse who's almost falling <laughs> over and she's filing his teeth. You know, but what I asked her, I'm like, why did you do this? She's, I love it so much. I'm so interested in whore, you know, equine health and people don't think about the teeth mattering and I like to ride for fun. And so it's like, clearly she has a purpose driven connection to this job, but I'm, I'm quite confident that it's not her passion. And you think about things like stocking the grocery store shelves or tuning up a car, or we had some people here doing some work in our garden, hard work, hard physical work. You know, their, their passion is probably riding on a wakeboard on Saturday out at the lake you know, but they have a purpose that brings them to connect to this work. So we don't want to denigrate jobs by making them always have to be Mm -hmm. beloved. Totally. All right. Keep breathing. Okay. You're up for this one. Negotiations are tough. 
I grew up as a people pleaser. How do I get better at this? And then there's a second one in there that's also about negotiations. How to negotiate a higher salary when people are coming in at a higher pay. Merge those as you will. If you listen to our money episode, y'all, you'll know that I don't know anything about negotiating. I tried to get this job for no money. So Mo is the expert in this one. We're going to have another podcast based on that episode that is called May Goes to School to Negotiate. Because she almost negotiated during our podcast, which was not something that I wanted her to do, actually. <laughs> but, but that's a good podcast for this for these people that are asking the question. But, you know, it's a real thing right now, May. I mean, I know you know this. A lot of people are, a lot of employers are having to hire new talent coming in much higher than um, the talent that already works there just to get people to agree to work. Because, you know, we've wised up during COVID. We're like, heck no, I'm not going to do that job for $4 a, a, an hour, you know. And so employers are having to right level what they're really paying. And then that leaves the people that already have those jobs, you know, really hanging. And I mean, it's shown up in a lot of places that one of the really hard spots right now is with regard to traveling nurses in um, acute care mm -hmm. hospitals who are being paid really high and the nurses that are already working there are not. And so there's like lots of issues here. But I think that the negotiation question, I'm super curious, of course, we can't know because the questions I think were anonymous, but if it's a man or a woman asking about negotiation, because one of the things or, or someone who identifies as non-binary. But one of the things May and I talked about in the Money Podcast is that we're, we are, um, there's a lot of genderization to how we are trained to negotiate. And living in the binary for a while, my true lived experience is that women suck at it. Uh -huh. and we are not trained to negotiate for our salary, but men are trained to pause, to reflect. Now, in a, it, I don't know, and I nor have I seen research yet around what about those that identify as something other than male or female, whether they are feeling the enculturation around negotiation. But um, I think that the critical ingredient for me around negotiation is courage. And by courage, I mean a willingness to be vulnerable, because the big risk with negotiation is that we will get a no. And what I heard you say, May, in our podcast about money was like, well, if I said to you, I'd actually like this amount of money, if you said no, then I'd be at net zero. Mm -hmm. And what I said to you was like, no, you would not have been at net zero because I still wanted to hire you. So we would have just been at a different number, right? And I think that we have to work on our mindset to be more courageous to say, yeah, it's going to feel like uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure when I try to negotiate because I may not get what I want. Right. And the answer is, yeah, that's true. You may not, but you might get something better than what you actually were initially offered. <laughs> and yeah. if you don't, then you can always say like, okay, you can't pay me that, but I'll, I'd like to take the job at what you originally offered it to me for, you know, if you, if, if that's okay with you. Oh, okay? hot tip. Y'all, you get to go back. You get yeah. To say, I'll take back the, I'll take the other one. I, I'm like today's years old on this front, <laughs> just so we all know, like, I didn't know so many things about this. I didn't know you can negotiate th for things that weren't money till like six minutes ago, but you can listen to me, all you negotiators out there. Like what? Time off. I didn't know that. That's so great. Vacation. I didn't know that. Four day work week. Didn't know that. Got one this year, y'all. It's the best ever. Please give them to everyone that can, you can give them to, or many things, right? Health insurance, just like in general, staying at home so that you can work remotely. So many things. I yeah. didn't even know you could do that. Yeah. So like, I love the way you're saying that and that awareness. And like, I think for ne in negotiation, we have to become a little bit more neutral. Like this is about an ask. This is about, this is what I think I need. And can you meet that? You know, and we have to, you know, we have to have some boundaries on what we would tolerate or no or, or not. But I think um, it's important to be able to be brave. And it's also important to be able to be flexible. Um, and oftentimes what I see happens in negotiation with people that are in a job situation is that they, they just don't know how to say the hard thing and they, and it gets all tangled up like this in our worthiness. So let's say, may I work for you and you're paying me $10 a day. Oh, and I think I, yes. <laughs> and I, and I think I deserve 15. If I say, may I think, and I've looked, I've done some research, and I'm like, actually, I think people like me get paid $15 a day, and may you're paying me 10, and I'd like to negotiate for more. Like, And then you say, no, Mo, I'm sorry, we're running at a deficit, and we're a nonprofit, and actually, they're, I can't pay you, I can't pay you 15. Um, I could do this, though. I could pay you 1250 and then if we get this grant, we could bump it up to 16 Would that work? Then I'm like, hell yeah, that would work. 
Okay. But what I have to do is separate my self-esteem from that conversation so that my identity isn't completely connected to what it is that I win in the, the negotiation. Because if you say to me, no, Mo, I can't do that. You're speaking on behalf of the entity, that organism that has to survive. You're not speaking on behalf on you are not worthy. You're not saying, no, Mo, I can't pay you that much because you are not worthy and you're inadequate and insufficient and incompetent. That's not what you're saying. No employer says that. No. Well, we hope. Most, yeah. <laughs> None that have gone through the LPP. I got a couple questions. Follow up. <laughs> Darn it. I know. Does negotiation, do you start at the top number if you're going to negotiate? If someone goes, hey, I would, you work for this much. And I say, yeah, but I'd like to go for many more. Do I go for the many more dollars or do I go for the middle number? Yeah, I, I think... <laughs> I think you have to be somewhat, I think I would recommend in negotiating some yeah, yeah, research, yeah. some research, right? I mean, but um, even in that, right, there's an upper end. There is an upper end. And so I guess that that does connect with like, do I, what do I know about myself to be true that merits that, you know, that request. Um, and like, yeah, I think that I have, because I have to recognize, and Jim just pointed this out, who, by the way, everybody is my husband. Our partners are on this call too, which is also freaky. I don't know about yeah. you. Sam's my here. palms yeah. are sweating. I know. Um, but I think that, you know, Jim's talking about profitability. And I think as an as an employee, if, we're, if I'm trying to negotiate salary, I have to remember that my boss or my employer is up against some other constraints. Yeah. It could be profitability if they're a for-profit company. It could be just operational um, capacity if they're a nonprofit or a government agency. In other words, the real world has constraints. So if I if I apply for an entry level job at a nonprofit that I really believe in and I really really want to bring my skills to this cause, and I go in saying I need two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year um, to in order to feel good about this job, and they're like, that's our entire budget for the next two years, <laughs> right? Then I'm going to have to be like, oops, I made like I made a little mismatch here. I'm, I want to do my research. What what yeah. do I think is fair and reasonable pay for this job that I'm interested in? And what do I think this organization can spend? Can I live with that? Right. And if the answer is no, then that's probably not going to be a good place for me to work. Mm -hmm. Right. If the answer is yes, then I can go in at the top of that number, like for what I think is the biggest you know, amount that will satisfy me and knowing that I may have some room to come down. But I think we do need to do our research. And I think we have to recognize that the people that lead organizations are up against constraints that we, the employee, may not understand. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Here's something that feels um, true for me just now is that if I, I feel like if I would have asked you, say I came in and I negotiated my pay with you, what I really fear and what I feared in that moment, which I, I'm just now realizing is that you would see me as greedy. Is oh. that the, like the thing that then would follow me forever? Like a terrible tale is that I'm greedy, that I only, uh, all I want is money. And that like, I'm here just to take you for everything you're worth. <laughs> oh my God. I know. Yeah, I offered I, you zero dollars because I like you. I know, but I just want to tell you how many heads nodded on the screen right now. Half our audience was like, I don't want to be greedy. Don't oh, want to be greedy. So this is what I have to say about that. What is this message about being greedy? Where does this come from? And I, I do think, again, that there's some enculturation here. Yeah. And for and I can relate, right? I worked early in my career, I worked for nonprofits right up until I started my own business 21 years ago. And when I did, my business started with nonprofit rates. And I'll tell you what happened. I went to corporate clients to pitch work and they laughed me out of the room. They were like, <laughs> you're only going to charge that much money. You must suck. Right? Oh. Because it was a ridiculously low amount for what the sector will tolerate. And they wanted a good, competent consultant and they didn't know me. And so they wanted my rates to be like within reason of what people like me are getting paid for. And what I had to come to terms with May, which I hear you wrestling with is like, no, that's not greedy. That's called responsible to, for yourself. Wow. You gotta be responsible for yourself. And I don't think men do worry about being greedy. And here's the thing, this is why I love what you said so much, is that women are not taught that we can be ambitious. And if women talk about money, we're seen as a lot of bad things. Yeah. And if men talk about money, they're seen, they're seen as a lot of good things. And I know I'm being binary here. 
Yeah. Right. But this, there are historical legacy has a more binary feel to it. And one of the things that I am done with is playing small and masking my own ambition, which includes making bank. <laughs> Me too. Um, right. And I don't want to just make bank so that I can, I'm not carrying around Chanel bags. I want to make bank so that I can provide for the people I love so that I can build some generational wealth with my children. And so that I can give a shit ton of that money away, which I do. Also, what's wrong with a Chanel bag? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. That's true. That a would woman be perfect. With money is okay. A yes. woman with money is okay. Maternal wealth is great. It's existed yes. for a long time. Absolutely. And I, so I think may the greediness is up against the ambition, which is actually for you to think that you're being greedy, actually, when really what you were doing was trying to secure a fair wage, a good wage that would help you and your family live in the community and contribute to the community in ways that you really want. And that is really reasonable. And your ambition, if you want, if you have more ambition, because you want to be able to fund, you know, Sam to go to medical school on your own. Hi, Sam. No Keep problem. Here. Good job. Right? <laughs> yeah. I support you because that's something you want to do because it matters to you. And so I think we got to we got to get away of this greedy attribution that comes with negotiating for um, for pay. Mm -hmm. I just would like to direct your attention to Hannah in the chat who says that her greedy mindset is attached to not having worked hard enough for it. Yeah, that could be a whole yeah. podcast of itself. I'm going to save that for later because I hear you, Hannah. And I think that hustle mindset for sure is a thing. And also yes. look around. There's a lot of people who have made a lot of money who are not that smart or even, <laughs> or even mission driven around purpose. Yeah. Like we can't, if we're going to equate character to negative things like greed, then we got to look at some of those instances and say like, there's actually not a connection here, folks, to character and whether you're rich or not. Yeah. Okay. There's not a connection. There's a lot of people that are plenty rich that are not of really awesome character. So if you know what you value and you have ambition to change the world and you need some money to do it, which we all do, by the way, because in a capitalist society, money does give us more power to enact the change that we want, then let's do it. Let's make bank so that we can change the world. And yeah. it doesn't mean we shouldn't march because we should march yeah. too. Yes. But Oh my gosh. So Caitlin asks about the intersection of pleasure, passion, excitement, and, and how much we get paid. Fear about asking money for worth that I love. Oh, I just feel you. And then Nikki's asking about, you know, I didn't work hard enough to sit and do nothing. I need to always be working on something. No, you don't. No, no, Nikki. No. <laughs> we no. are here to tell you. You don't have to earn rest. Don't do it. Right. But I want to I want to validate Nikki and uh, and Kathy and anyone else who's feeling this. We are born in a culture that says that our worth is connected to our hustle and our grind, and that actually the heroic models of the meritocracy that is our North American business and work, work culture says that um, benefits come to those who suffer and who go it alone. And we are trying really hard with this little podcast and with our little firm to change that mythology because the evidence actually tells us that it doesn't work. That the hero's journey of rugged individualism, that hustling until we burn out actually costs us as a society. There's so much research about this. Check out Jeffrey Pfeffer's Dying for a Paycheck. Mm -hmm. And we know that when we rest, when we have pleasure in our life, we are capable of more, more hard work, more effort, more excellence, more money, more purpose-driven achievement because we're we're up for it, you know? But I know that feeling of hustle. I mean, I my family teases me. I don't know, May, if this goes on in your house, but my family teases me because I don't sit down very well at all. <laughs> like, I'm just always like, do I'm always doing something. It's part of how I'm wired. I'm like you. Uh, we're like meteors. We move fast through the world. Um, but I have to consciously say to myself, and for me, like there are certain ways that I can give myself permission to really rest, such as sitting and reading a good book, you know, or um, after, since COVID, binge watching Netflix. But I think that, you know, I have to do a little number on myself to force myself to rest. And some of you may feel that too. And it's it's dismantling the patriarchy in my head. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Like who's making money by you shaming yourself into working? That's what I ask myself all the time, like, mm -hmm. especially around, I don't know, I can do it around working out 
who's making money off of me thinking my body doesn't look the way that I think it should look. Mm. Not me. I'm not making any money off that thought. Yeah. I, I, Nikki, I hear you too. It's hard for me. I'm still working that. I'm still ironing that one out. Well, and can I use one example? I know we need to wrap, but I want to offer one little example for people that are listening about this question. That is a good one. I think may, it has to do with you and me. So we, we announced in the new year this year in 2022, that we wanted to offer a four day work week to people that wanted to take advantage of it and may raise her hand that she did. And it's worked out really well for the most part, except I will point out that today is Friday and here you are working with me on the podcast. And that has happened, you know, fairly often where I do need you to do something on Fridays. The business demands it, I demand it, and you are flexible and do it. And what I think, what I think that points out is that it's all about an end both. Mm-hmm. Like May, you have a boundary, you've claimed you want to do a four-day week, and it does work for us generally. And sometimes it doesn't. And so we, me as the employer being able to be flexible, you as the employee being able to be flexible, but not getting sucked into the mentality that that is the only measure of your worth. Mm-hmm. You know, as your boss, I'm not saying, well, May, you know, you couldn't work on Friday, so that makes you lazy. Like, I'm not shaming you about mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am also clear when I need you to flex. So it's an in both. Yeah. Mo, let's thank our people and let's go rest. I will because it's Friday. Thank you all for coming. Thank you for helping us launch our podcast. Please, please, please um, stick around. Stick around. We love having you in community. We, I, we didn't get to all the questions. So we'll click and clack and dear sugar our way through these questions on other episodes. So don't even worry. You've given us like four weeks worth of good questions. And by the way, congratulations, Kersey, on the new job. That is so exciting. Yeah. Um, And yeah, yeah, there's like three people on here that I've coached. uh, I've coached in the last year who I have said the thing of like, you need to rest. Like you get to do the thing you want to do. And also it exists. Open your umbrella wider. You can do this. And it's so great to see you. I'm so proud of you. So proud of you. Awesome. Awesome. What goes around comes around. I wanted to say one more thank you before we close. And that is to you, May. Because this podcast, Getting Off the Ground, would not have happened without your fierce energy and partnership with Jordan. And so thank you, thank you, thank you. The day you joined this team was a day I will not ever forget. It's been worth every single hard moment that we've had so thank you for being part of this ship and um and being and fostering this incredible dynamic so thank you all for joining us so much and um thanks for your help launching this podcast oh i love it bye y'all bye thank you hey if you're listening to let's make work human right now and you're a small to medium-sized business who's really struggling with creating a culture that's good for people so that you can attract and keep the people you need to run your business, make a profit and meet your mission, you might be really interested in my new micro course that's launching in mid-August. In the show notes and on our webpage, you can find information about that course. It's a $99 spend and it's going to be an awesome three-part series to give you the tools you need right now in this tough employment market. I hope to see you there.